1: day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to WPT Industrial REIT's Second Quarter 2020 Investor Conference Call. Before we begin, let me remind everyone that during this conference call, management may make statements containing forward-looking information. Forward-looking information is based on a number of assumptions and is subject to a number of known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those disclosed or implied. We direct you to the company's earnings release, MDNA, and other securities filings for additional information about these assumptions, risk, and uncertainties. I would like to turn the conference meeting over to Mr. Scott Fredrickson, Chief Executive Officer. Mr. Fredrickson, the floor is yours, sir. Excuse me, everyone. Uh, we'll go ahead and check on that location.
2: And today are Judd Gillitz, the Reed CFO, and Matt Semino, the REIT COO. Before discussing our second quarter results, I wanted to provide a few comments on the impact of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Similar to last quarter, I'm pleased to report that the COVID-19 so far continues to have a minimal impact on our results. And over the medium to long term, we still believe the industrial sector will benefit from some of the changes brought on or accelerated by the pandemic, including increased inventory levels, and accelerated adoption of e-commerce. In the near term, we remain focused on keeping our team of employees safe and ensuring our tenants have safe and continuous access to our buildings. John and Matt will provide a bit more context on what we're seeing as it relates to rent collections and tenant referral requests shortly. From an operational standpoint, we continue to grow net operating income, in large part due to our 2019 and 2020 acquisition activity. Notwithstanding the ongoing pandemic, we continue to see favorable releasing spreads, which Matt will highlight later, and we were able to finish the quarter with occupancy ticking up to approximately 97.4%. Looking ahead the remainder of the year, we've taken the additional steps to strengthen our balance sheet and improve our liquidity position, including proactively refinancing $98 million of debt during the second quarter. Although our prepayment prepayment expenses from this refinancing activity created a one-time drag on our quarterly earnings, these refinancings reduced our interest expense and provided us with an additional $50 million of liquidity. With minimal lease renewals and no debt maturities for the next 12 months and expanded access to private capital resources, we believe we're well-positioned to withstand the current period of economic uncertainty and capitalize on future growth opportunities. With that, I'll now turn things over to Judd to discuss the REIT's financial results in more detail. Judd?
3: Thanks, Scott, and good morning, everyone. Before I begin, let me remind everyone that all figures discussed today are stated in U.S. dollars. Total investment properties revenue for the three and six months ended June 30, 2020, increased 56.1% and 43.4% over last year, primarily due to 2019 and 2020 acquisitions, with additional contributions from increased base rent. The also earned management fee revenue of approximately $96,000 and $369,000 in the quarter and year-to-date, respectively. Net operating income for the three and six months was up 51.2% and 40.9% from last year. And Same Properties NOI was up 0.1% and 0.8% for the three and six months, driven mainly by favorable releasing spreads and contractual rent increases partially offset by a 1.2% and 1.1% reduction in same property occupancy, respectively. G&A expenses for the three and six months, excluding any fair value adjustments, were approximately $2.9 million and $3.6 million, up 5.2% and 8.2% over last year, while the portfolio has more than doubled since the start of 2019. AFFO and FFO for the quarter were up 34.2% and 36.6% respectively. FFO and AFFO per unit were 20.0 cents per unit and 15.3 cents per unit respectively. Excluding a 3.1 cent per unit impact from $2.7 million in one-time costs related to the debt prepayment, FFO and AFFO per unit would have been up 8.5% and 14.3% respectively compared to the second quarter of 2019. Both FFO and AFFO were mainly impacted by increased properties revenue due to acquisitions, increases in base rent, and by a reduction in general administrative expenses from the prior period. They were also impacted by by a 37.2% increase in the weighted average number of units outstanding compared to the same period last year and a reduction in occupancy. Our ACFO payout ratio for the quarter was 105.9%, compared to 98.9% in the same period last year. The ACFO payout ratio was directly affected by the prepayment costs, and excluding those, the ACFO payout ratio for the quarter would would have been 89.9%. At June 30th, 2020, our balance sheet and liquidity position remained strong, with cash on hand of $20.2 million and remaining availability on the credit facility of approximately $200.7 million. During the quarter, the REIT also completed the following notable transactions. On May 21, 2020, the REIT acquired a land parcel located in Nashville, Tennessee for a purchase price of $6.5 million, exclusive of closing and transaction costs. The REIT is in the process of contributing this property into a development joint venture with one or more private capital partners to build approximately 726,000 square feet of modern distribution logistics space on the site. On June 26, 2020, the REIT repaid six secured mortgages during a weighted average interest rate of 4.1% with an aggregate remaining principal balance of $97.6 million. The repayment was funded with funds from the unsecured revolving credit facility at an interest rate of 1.8%. As a result of the repayment of these mortgages, the REIT incurred prepayment costs of $2.7 million and increased credit facility availability by fifty million million. I'll now turn things over to Matt to provide an operations update. Thanks, John, and good morning, everyone. Similar to the last
2: quarter, I'll start with some updated rent collection numbers and then turn to quarterly leasing and private capital activity. To date, we've received 99.5% of contractual rents for July and over 82% of contractual rents for August, which is in line with our collections percentage during the second quarter at similar points of the month. While the REIT did not agree to any rent deferral arrangements during the second quarter, the REIT currently expects to agree to a short-term deferral arrangement with one tenant totaling approximately $70,000, which represents approximately .04% of annualized portfolio gross rent. All deferred rent is expected to be collected by January 1st, 2021. Turning to leasing activity, the REIT had 539,000 square feet of new leases and 1,122,000 square feet of lease renewals commence in the second quarter. Lease renewals commencing in the quarter had a weighted average cash releasing spread and straight-line rent releasing spread of 8.3% and 8.2% respectively. We also signed 779,000 square feet of lease renewals in the second quarter with a weighted average cash releasing spread and straight-line rent releasing spread of 11.3% and 6.6% respectively. As of June 30th, 2020, the REIT had approximately 359,000 square feet or 1.1% of the portfolio's gross leasable area set to expire in 2020 and approximately 2.2 million square feet or 6.9% of the portfolio gross leasable area set to expire in 2021, the, more, the majority of which is set to expire in the second half of the year. The REIT ended the quarter with occupancy of 97.4%. And a portfolio weighted average remaining lease term of 4.6 years. Within our private capital pipeline, the REIT has projects at various stages in the development process totaling approximately 3.9 million square feet. We have a two-building project in Bayonne, New Jersey with one building 100% leased to a single tenant and the second building in lease-up. We have two other buildings, one in the Inland Empire market and one in the Cincinnati market that have recently wrapped up construction and are also being marketed for lease. And we have five buildings in pre-construction or construction in the Minneapolis, Chicago, Houston, Nashville, and recently Mansfield, New Jersey markets. During the quarter, the REIT also entered into a new partnership with the Investment Management Corporation of Ontario to provide additional joint venture capital for our growing industrial value-added development pipeline. The REIT expects to invest alongside IMCO and other private capital partners in future value-add and development investments in select U.S. distribution and logistics markets. In addition to our ongoing development activity, we've also turned our focus to capital recycling as we look to dispose of properties that are no longer core to our future growth. Despite a brief delay in our 2020 capital recycling plans related to market uncertainty, as the investment sales market begins to stabilize, we expect to ramp up capital recycling in the second half of 2020 and 2021. With that, I'll now turn things back to Scott to wrap up. Thanks, Matt. In closing, I want to extend my thanks to our dedicated team of employees who continue to proactively manage our portfolio and source compelling new investments in private capital relationships for the REIT throughout these challenging and uncertain times. While there's still no shortage of uncertainty in the current market, we remain optimistic about the long-term outlook for the U.S. industrial real estate sector. Thanks for your time and attention this morning. Hope you're all staying safe and healthy. We'd now be pleased to answer any questions you may have.
1: Thank you, sir. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star, then one on your touch phone. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your headset before pressing the keys. If any time a question has been addressed and you'd like to enjoy your question, please press star, then two. Again, it is star, then one to ask a question. At this time, we will just pause momentarily to a sumar roster. And the first question we have will come from Christopher of CIBC
4: uh, Good morning. Um, hey, Chris. hey guys. Um, just got a couple questions for you on the um, on the private capital side. Um, maybe just uh, first in the quarter the um, the amount of uh, fees that were generated. Um, kind of tick down sequentially just wondering um, if you uh, can provide us with an update on what you're expecting for uh, fee generation for 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 the balance of the year
3: sure Chris we we continue to expect the balance of the year to you know for the full year to be in the range that we've previously given of two and a half to four and a half million dollars some of those fees are uh, a little bit episodic with the construction management fees and with some of the new assets we' Uh, contributing into the into joint ventures, we were comfortable with our previous guidance.
4: Okay, great. Um, congrats on the uh, the new JV partner. Um, it, it was is there a um, an equity uh, uh, commitment that that has been given to you by uh, by this new partner? And maybe just if you can uh, give us some color as to how this relationship was established.
2: Yeah, and I, we're not going to comment on specific allocations. Um, uh, in terms of the investors. But uh, I mean, I think the relationship was established in the same way we've established our previous relationships. And I think our, our objectives on private capital have really remained the same. I think we've first and foremost sought to create a proprietary pipeline for the read and make sure that we've maintained a right of first opportunity over everything that we develop. And that continues to remain the case. And that was something that IMCO embraced along with our other partners. And so that was, that was an important factor in in um, facilitating that relationship. And then secondly, we're, we're trying to grow and diversify our pipeline of opportunities, and that includes adding sourcing capabilities, which I know you've heard us talk about on prior calls with boots on the ground now in New Jersey and California, and, then, and, and pairing that with expanding and diversifying our capital resources. So the addition of this relationship was really just in furtherance of those same objectives, and we think big picture this gives us the opportunity to expand that pipeline and make sure that, in any case, we've always got a source of capital to match fund any opportunity that we're interested in pursuing.
4: Okay, got it. Um, and then just a, a clarification uh, with respect to the, uh, the Mansfield uh, land parcel. The $39 million purchase price, is that, um, is that gross? In other words, that's the, the, the JV's purchase price, and then your share is, is call it, 10% of that?
3: Yeah, the $39 million was our was our purchase price on the land. There's obviously development costs that will come after that, and our share is
4: 10%. Okay. Um, so just when I look at, at the uh, purchase price of, of this land compared to the, the Nashville purchase, you know, it looks like you're going to be developing properties roughly the same size. Is, is that really the, the, the land price differential between those two markets, about 6x? Six, six, six yep, that's exactly right
2: price of poker in new jersey to be across the river from new york city
4: okay that's it for me thanks
1: and next we have hamansu gupta of scotia bank thank you and uh, good morning
5: so just a follow up on the uh, just to follow up on the land, uh, on the land transactions uh, one in Nashville and one in new jersey So are there more opportunities on the land pricing right now than the stabilized income-producing properties? And have you seen any changes in the land values in the key markets in the recent time?
2: Yeah, so so I'd say this, Amashu, that, that, you know, early COVID, we weren't seeing a lot of uh, stabilized assets being marketed. And then kind of midway through COVID, the first few things we saw were, you know, resembled long-term leases to companies like Amazon and, and A locations. And when those cleared at pre-COVID pricing. I that the market thought a little further and then we began to see household name assets and maybe tier one and tier two markets clear and again, maintain pre-COVID pricing levels. And so now we're seeing quite a few stabilized opportunities of, of, of different tenancies in different markets. Um, but look, our focus, as we've said in the short term, is going to be to ramp up on the private capital side. And we still think that's a that's a a, a good risk-reward proposition for us. And on that second part of your question, in the in the gateway markets and in, and in some of the higher barrier markets, land prices haven't budged. Um, and we've seen very little movement in some of the Tier 2 and Tier 3 markets as well. I'd say the change has been that a lot of the uh, developers or folks that were thinking about building speculative have tapped the brakes on that, and so maybe there's created an opportunity to be the buyer or the source site where previous to COVID, that would have been tied up by someone else. And so it's opened up more opportunities, but but it hasn't really resulted in lower pricing.
5: Got it. Thanks. Thanks for the color. And just to follow up on the new partnership with IMCO, uh, just wondering, I mean, going forward, how do you differentiate if the acquisition property or the opportunity is suitable for the private capital or IMCO partnership or the REITs?
3: Yeah and so going forward
2: it'll it'll be the same stre- the same differentiation that we've had in the past which is that we will we'll look to capitalize value add and development investments with private capital and and we will present those opportunities to our partners first and foremost before we would pursue them directly in the REIT and then anything that's stabilized is is typically going to be pursued directly by the REIT I obviously we can mix and match at our discretion there but that's that's the general objective
5: okay and uh, and so specifically for IMco, are they looking for specific markets? I mean, are they coastal markets or are these the markets you already have presence in?
2: no it's a it's a diversified mix of markets. again, I think it's entirely consistent with, with what we've been up to with private capital generally, and I think they they' they are supportive and and believe generally speaking in the u s industrial sector and the markets that we would typically be sourcing investments in, I, I think, are generally all markets that they're interested in being in. And so I think the intention is to, to invest across a diversified set of markets, not dissimilar from our other partners.
5: Got it. Okay. And then just turning on the leasing side uh, at the plainfield property, uh, what is the new rent on a dollar-per-foot basis, and are the annual escalators similar to what you would have done pre-COVID? And just wondering, you know, it was still one year out. Uh, the expiry was still one year out. Uh, did the tenant approach you, or was it more of a proactive lease extension?
2: So, so I'd say this. Um, you know, what we ha- we haven't seen rents. Or we haven't seen rents fall as a result of COVID. Um, the way we're underwriting rents today, and and, and I think consistent with um, others in the market, we've changed our underwriting to be basically an assumption that rents stay flat. Over the short term, and the short term might be the rest of, you know, 20 and 21, where historically we would be growing those rents as we model with inflation. And so I think, I think there's been a, I'll call it a pause in the market. Now, a lot of the market statistics you see from, you know, CB and the likes have said that rents have continued to rise, especially in the gateway markets. But, but, you know, I, and I think that mirrors our experience as well. So depending on where you're talking about, rents have either continued to rise, maybe at a slightly slower pace or flattened. But I don't know of any market or tenant specific situation where rents have, have wildly reversed the other direction. And, and, and typically I'm actually sure we don't get into talking about specific tenants and specific per square foot rents.
1: Got it.
5: And maybe just final question from me again on the leasing. Uh, for the pirate US portfolio that was bought with a couple of vacancies, I think in Atlanta and Dallas. Any any progress here on the leasing?
2: Yeah so so when we bought um when we put that property under when we put the portfolio under contract actually the vacancy in Atlanta was 800,000 feet and and the good news is while we were in due diligence uh we were successful in leasing 500,000 feet of that 800,000 square foot building so still a little bit of work left to do but we did knock off a big chunk of it while we were in our due diligence period so uh, but, but but look the the vacancy that remains in Atlanta and the 200,000-square-foot vacancy in South Dallas are both first-generation, state-of-the-art distribution space, and we're confident that we can lease those long-term. And that's really how we get from that you know, going-in cap rate that we quoted when we bought Pyrette to the stabilized cap rate that we quoted. The, the, the other piece that, that I'll call it would be whipped cream on top would be the 85 acres in South Dallas where you can basically support a 1.4 million-square-foot distribution center and we're marketing that today for Build-A-Suits. Our intention isn't to go spec on that, but we've had a couple of, I'll call it hints of activity there. So that wasn't, how, that wasn't in our base underwriting and really would be, would be um, you know, kind of an additional piece of value add that we hadn't planned on.
5: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for the color, and I'll turn it back. You bet.
1: Again, as a reminder, if you'd like to participate in today's Q&A, please press star, then one on the touchstone phone. Again, I'd a star than one to ask a question. The next question we have will come from Troy McLean of BMO Capital Markets.
6: Uh, good morning. Hey, um, uh, Scott, your comment on, on the, you wanting to do pre-lease the development in, in Dallas, would that be true of all your developments now? You'd rather do pre-lease than spec, or is that just because that project is so large?
2: It, it, that, that's a one-off because it's owned in the read and it's so large. Most of what Matt talked about. We fully intend on going forward on a speculative basis.
6: Since, uh, you know, the COVID outbreak, have you seen any change in, um, you know, availability of construction financing for development? Or is it the same as it was, um, you know, kind of in January and February? I,
2: I miss construction. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, no, the no, construction, no. construction financing? Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah the I mean availability what? out. Yeah, that, despite the fact that the, the general lending markets are, are starting to return to pre-COVID levels, the construction markets for the construction financing is still in a tough spot. And so thankfully, you know, we've got long relationships and diverse relationships and we're still able to, um, to source construction financing, but a lot of people are struggling there, Troy. That is, that is a market that's severely dislocated still today.
6: And so you, we probably will see like less supply deliveries, um, kind of in 2021 or, or the the back half of this year, I
2: guess, um, you know, because of that. Well, I, I think I think because of COVID and because of the dislocation in the construction um, in the construction lending market, you're certainly going to see less deliveries than you would have seen absent those two things, but look, there's still, a, there's still a product being developed, a lot of which, I mean, probably a third of the product being developed today is pre-leased or build-a-suit space. And so, you know, that'll continue. And then, you know, the, as I mentioned earlier, several people, because of COVID or because of the construction lending market, have either delayed or, or canceled some new spec developments. And, you know, some of that will resume once people feel good about where the market's headed. And there's a lot of leasing velocity out there. I mean, just anecdotally, there's you know, Amazon's gobbling up space across the country, and there's a lot of demand in, in many of the markets. And so it's just a question of time before some of that stuff gets put back into production.
6: Have you had a lot of or any of your tenants come to you looking for, uh, especially e-commerce tenants, looking for, uh, you know, additional
2: space? Well, I mean, we you know, our largest tenant, FedEx, has certainly slammed at a lot of their ground facilities. And so we're talking about expanding parking lots and doing some things to help them ease some of that, Bog jam at some of their facilities, and, and we're in discussions with all our e-commerce companies right now. I mean, I think that was one of the drivers on the early renewal with full beauty brands is they wanted to lock up and secure that space in, a, in an increasingly tight market. And then
6: just finally for me, um, on the capital recycling, when you're you know, looking at what you want to sell—is it more? Of, you know, it's the asset you want to uh, lighten up on, or is it like the market you want to you want to exit? You know, how do you think about that capital recycling? Is it like property by property or market by market?
1: Um,
2: I'd say that it's more property by property. Um, you know, we're we're looking at assets. Now, having said that, there's there's certainly assets that we have uh, in a market where we own one asset or we never intended on being in, but maybe purchased it as part of a portfolio, and we'd look. We'd look to lighten up in those areas where we own assets outside of our target markets. But it could be a a building that a tenant falls in love with and wants to own and is willing to pay more than we think the building's worth. It could be a vacant building where we market it both for sale or for lease and find a buyer before we find a tenant. It's a mixed bag. And then
6: um, I guess I lied about the last question. Um, but just the proceeds for the capital recycling—is that more earmarked towards um, you know paying down debt, or is it for you know redeploying that capital into development or acquisitions?
2: I'd say the first priority is to fund our development and our development pipeline, and 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 that is our focus today for sure. Um, and then secondarily to pay down debt. Look, we. We're 50% levered today, but we don't feel like operating this portfolio with this tenancy where you're collecting 99.5% of the rent is irresponsible in any way. And a lot of private capital buyers would lever this, you know, 60 or 70% and not give a second thought to it. So we're not in a panic um, to get the leverage back down, although it's clearly our plan over time. Our focus is funding our private capital business. Uh,
6: Thank you for the color. I'll turn it back.
1: Great. Hey, next we have Mike Marquitas of Desjardins.
7: Hey guys, good morning, and uh, apologies in advance if some of these have already been uh, asked or if you already provided the color. Just some overlapping calls today. Um, just looking, um, you know, on the on the fee revenue. I know you guys bought some of the stabilized assets in the private capital pipeline uh, in the third quarter of last year, um, but the fee revenue, excluding promotes, does uh, look like it continues to go down, and I think this quarter would certainly be a a low watermark. I was wondering if you just give a little bit of color behind what's driving that, and uh, given that you haven't acquired anything out of the private capital pipeline since the third quarter, and how should we think about the uh, evolution of that line uh, through the back half of this year?
3: Sure. uh, I think we've already talked about the the second part of your question, where we, uh, we do continue to expect... Uh, that fee revenue for the year will be somewhere in the 2 to $4.5 million range like we've talked about previously. The, you know, for, for Q2, the, remember the, the management fees, excluding the promotes, are made up of asset management fees and construction management fees. Some of those construction management fees have to do with the timing of where we're at in the development of an individual asset, and so those will ebb and flow as you know, when we're heavy into the development phase, we're putting shovels in the ground and putting up walls those numbers will be higher, and when the buildings are complete, those numbers uh, tail off. And so that's all we saw this quarter, that there was uh, sort of a lull on the construction management side as we're ramping up on some of the new projects and some of the existing projects had uh, basically finished their construction.
7: Okay. All right. So then when you, when you typically characterize recurring, I guess that would include some lumpy fees in there in terms of the construction management fees, yeah. et cetera. You're just basically stripping out the promotes. Uh, exactly. Okay, that's fair. And then of that 2.5 to 4.5, um, I know that's a pretty wide range. Um, but if we were to break that down between recurring and promote roughly, how would we think about that?
3: Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, there's definitely some assumption of, of some promotes in that number. But given the way our, our fee structures work, if, they, if an asset is sold more quickly, obviously we, we get a bigger promote, but then we get less ongoing revenue from the, from the management fees our assumption is that some of that is promote, but it will depend on the timing and execution on, on leasing on some of these assets that are, um, you know, that where construction is complete and we're working on leasing now in terms of when those stabilize and then are sold.
7: Okay. Um, and just lastly, um, when you talk about the active projects having the uh, eight projects and 3.9 million square feet, does that include um, South Dallas, the, the 1.4, or is that excluding South Dallas?
2: It's excluding that. That's not in those
7: numbers. Okay, so I think the additions then, uh, in addition to Minneapolis and Chicago, would be Nashville, uh, Mansfield, and there'd be one other one in there.
2: No, I, I, I think it's just Nash, Nashville and Mansfield.
7: Okay, um, and if if uh, if you were to uh, to do the uh, the South Dallas one, I guess that'd be one where you just contribute the land. Uh, into a JV partnership, presuming the partners accept. And that would liberate some additional capital for you.
2: Uh, but, you know, I, I think I'd, I'd probably a more likely scenario, since the re-owns that piece of land, would be we find a tenant who wants to sign a, you know, five- to ten-year lease, and then we just do it ourselves.
7: Oh, okay. Perfect. All right. That's it for me. Thanks very much. You bet.
1: And next we have Matt Kornack of National Bank Financial.
0: Hi guys, and I'm I'm going to apologize, just like uh, Mercutis, in terms of uh, not being on the beginning of the call. But uh, with regards to the 15% deferral requests, I mean that number seems to be fairly static. Is it changing? Or, and and I know you haven't granted any of them, uh, but but why do the tenants continue to ask? If if that's the case.
2: Yeah, no, it it is static, and to some extent, they're not, I guess, I wouldn't characterize it as as continuing to ask. I mean, I would say in most cases, those requests came early in the pandemic at a point where I I think there was significantly more uncertainty for everyone, including our tenants, and so those those came in the form of boilerplate requests that went out early and have really never been followed up on. And and in most instances, I think we've talked about in the past that we – our standard response typically includes an application process where you fill out some request forms and we get a sense of the, uh, the basis for the need. And in most cases, people didn't even bother to fill out those applications, and we've heard nothing from them since. And so I think we're more focused on the rent collection numbers. That gives us right. three or four m- months of, of data to suggest that that gives us a, a better proxy into where people are. But So th- there's, there's some uncertainty there. I, and clearly, there are, are some tenants that are still under some pressure in their very, in their respective businesses or industries. So we're keeping an eye on things, but I, yeah, I, I don't think that we're circling back to that. And we're not. We're certainly not seeing people re-request every month. Most of those have been a one-off request that is laid dormant since since it was made.
0: Okay, no, that's 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 good clarification. Um, and then I guess with regards to those that you may be concerned about, and it doesn't sound like it's a very significant uh, number of tenants. Would you be sort of actively looking at any properties in terms of retenanting it while the current tenant's currently in it or or nothing at this point?
2: Yeah, I, bet, I mean, I think in most cases, if that's and I would say outside of what's happening with respect to COVID, that would be our normal strategy. If we, if we are foreseeing an opportunity to retenant a space and reposition it with a, a stronger credit or grow rents, whatever the case may be, we're, we're doing that in the ordinary course. And so, yeah, I, I think that remains part of our process where we are, if we're in those types of discussions, we're certainly thinking about how we can reposition space to maximize the advantage from our perspective.
0: Okay. And the 11% cash uh, renewal spread, would that have been largely negotiated pre COVID or, or is a portion of that would have been negotiated post uh, sort of the, the financial impact of COVID?
2: Yeah, I think that's re- the majority of that's a really a post
3: covid
0: comp. Okay. That's good to know. And then two uh quick boring accounting uh sorry, Judd. Um <laughs> <any> question. <laughs> <I'm wrong. laughs> um straight line rent, uh, what is the 900,000 a good number or how does that develop over time and then with regards to the interest on the lease liability, the 1.2 million is the, should we run rate that or is there there's something one time in that as well?
3: Yeah, no, the, the 1.2 is a good number to run rate. That, that That's basically we've, you know, we discount the all-future lease liabilities and uh, it basically amortizes that at the chosen discount rate for each, each lease, and it's a little bit different in each one. But so that number should be good as long as we don't take on new ground leases. Um, as far as the, um, the your your first question, and I just blanked on what with, with the first part three of line the question rent. was. Yeah. Three-line rents, yeah. We, with the... A couple of the assets that were in the uh, the pirate portfolio, we knew there was some uh, some free rent, and so that's mainly what hit in Q2, and we expect some more of that in Q3, uh, and then it should it should tail off, you know, pending ad- any additional changes due to new leasing that happens after that. So we, we okay. should have a, a yeah. smaller number going. I, Q3 may may be similar to Q2, but then a smaller number going forward.
0: That's great. Thanks, guys, and congrats on the quarter.
3: Thank you.
1: Well, sir, no further questions at this time. We'll go ahead and conclude our question and answer session. I would now like to turn the conference call back over to Mr. Scott Fredrickson for any closing remarks. Sir?
2: Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, Once again, thanks for your time and your interest in WPT Industrial Read. If you have any additional questions, please feel free to reach out to any of us at any time. Thanks again.
1: And we thank you, sir, and to the rest of the management team for your time also today. Again, the conference call is now concluded. At this time, you may disconnect your lines. Thank you again, everyone. Take care and have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.